Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Reading from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower, earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will, in all things, grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Well, good evening, and let me add my welcome to Peter's welcome. It's uh, great to have you with us here tonight. We are in Ephesians chapter 4, page 1175, if you've closed the church Bibles. And as we turn to God's word, let's pray for his help. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of of the calling you have received. Father, we do thank you for what we've learnt so far from Ephesians about that wonderful, world-changing, eternal calling that we have received in Christ. And we would pray tonight that you would help us to understand what it means to, to live a life worthy of that calling. Please, would you help us tonight, for we do need your help. We need your help to be the people you have made us to be, and we long that you would use us to proclaim your wisdom and your glory to the world. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's one of the oldest problems around. It's a problem we've seen played out on our TV screens in graphic and distressing uh, pictures, over the last few weeks, whether 
it's in Copenhagen or in Paris or in Syria or in eastern Ukraine. But of course, it's not a problem that exists only out there, somewhere else. It's a problem which exists here in this country. It's a problem that exists in our schools and in our offices, in our homes, in our playgrounds, in our pubs. It is a problem, dare I say it, that exists even here tonight. The problem is the problem of difference. How do we get on with people who are different from us? Uh, We've seen the solution that some religious radicals offer. Violence. That is one approach to the problem of difference. Another approach is exclusion. We've seen this taking place this week in an underground in Paris. Uh, Chelsea football fans uh, shouting racist chants and pushing a black man off the tube, uh, excluding him. That is another way to deal with difference. Or there's suppression. We see that in this country with our emphasis on being politically correct. We're not allowed to say anything which uh, talks about difference. We can't talk about issues of gender or ethics or uh, racial background. In other words, uh, difference is uh, offside, suppression. Or there's aggression. Think of the bully at school or the overbearing, dominating boss at work or the angry child or sibling. It's another way of dealing with this problem of difference. I guess we could go on. There's lots of ways that the world around us grapples with the problem of difference, people who are different from us. And I suggest none of them seem to really work. Tonight, in Ephesians 4, Paul gives us a radically and profoundly different answer to the problem of difference. It's an answer that we will find nowhere else in the world around us because it is an answer which comes from God alone. And only God can make this work. Uh, Tonight, uh, we have a a turning point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, So far, Paul has been explaining God's master plan to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. We've seen that it is only through the cross of Christ that enemies can become friends. And then now, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 4, we read that sentence that I just read for us. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul's been talking about that calling. Uh, We've been called from death to life. We've been called into Christ from eternity past for eternity in the future. We have a a wonderful world-changing calling. And Paul says, Therefore, in light of that calling, in light of all that Christ has done for you, all the glorious truth of Ephesians chapter 1 to chapter 3, in light of all of that, we are now to live a life worthy of that calling. We are to live as, as God's new people, his new community, just declaring to the world his wisdom. And so these verses give us a picture, an insight into how God's people should live together. And tonight, as we look at this 
a wonderful and yet challenging picture of God's people living together, I think we get a, a profound answer to the problem of difference. For, for God has a plan to bring together all things on this earth, all peoples, all backgrounds, all types and classes and social standings, to bring all kinds of people together into one new community. And tonight we'll see how that is possible, how people who are different can dwell and live together in a place of unity. So what is Paul's picture of God's people? Well, I've got two, two snapshots for us tonight. First of all, we see a people living together in unity. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. These aren't random instructions that Paul has just dreamt up in the spur of the moment. No, Paul is tackling issues that disrupt unity. It's very hard to be united with someone else if there is pride and arrogance, if there is harshness, if there is a, a lack of love. And these things matter because God wants to bring all people together. He wants us to live out the reality of our unity in Christ. What does this mean for us here tonight? I don't know, lots of things. Imagine we're on a rotor serving in some way in the life of the church, on a coffee rotor or on a music rotor. And uh, we forget to turn up one night. Uh, we're on the rotor, but we forget. We let people down. Well, how, how does the body of Christ respond? How do those people who are on the rotor respond? Well, Paul would say that we, we bear with one another. We love one another. We demonstrate our unity in practice that way. Or imagine we have a, a Christian friend, part of the church gathering, who is just always grumpy. Uh, this, this friend is just uh, hard to be around sometimes because they're always talking about themselves. They're always focused on, on their problems. And, and it's, it's sometimes hard to be with them. Paul says that we should be patient, that we should bear with one another. Why should we do these things? Why should we forgive and be patient and bear with one another? Well, it goes back to the calling we have received. Remember that calling we, we saw in Ephesians 2? We were once dead in our transgressions and sins. And it is only through God's grace that we have been made alive in Christ. Uh, we are people who make mistakes left, right, and center. And it is only God's grace which makes us alive. That is the calling we have received. To live a life worthy of that calling is to, is to treat others like Christ has treated us. To be quick to forgive, to bear with one another, to be patient. It is a wonderful picture, verse 2. Imagine living in that kind of community. It would be wonderful, but it's not easy. Verse 3, Paul says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Some things in life are inevitable. Uh, with time, my car runs out of petrol. Always seems to happen. I always get hungry. Uh, it's also inevitable that in the mornings, if I don't have a cup of coffee before around 10, half 10, I will get a headache. Uh, there are things in life which are in inevitable. 
But one thing in life which is not inevitable is Christians getting on with one another. Our unity lived down and practiced is not a guarantee. It won't just happen because Paul says, verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Uh, We might be sitting here tonight thinking, um, I don't have a particular problem with unity. Uh, I've been coming to forward for for years and I I haven't punched anyone yet. I haven't had a massive argument with anyone. I've I've kept the, the bond of peace. I don't have a particular problem with with unity. Well, my question then is, how involved have we got in the life of the church? You see, it's relatively easy to get on with people when we only see them across the room or at the end of the pew for an hour on a Sunday. It's when we start to share our lives with them, when they start to share their lives with us, That is when it becomes harder. Think about how a family works. Many families can have a wonderful, peaceful, harmonious relationship when everyone lives many, many miles apart. They can have very pleasant phone calls once every week or fortnight, whatever it is. They can write lovely emails. They can stay in touch by Facebook. And there can be a lovely sense of harmony. But why is it that come Christmas time or the next family holiday, when you get all the family together in one house for a week, why is it then that the arguments break out and the frustrations come to the surface? It's because we only really get to know one another when we are forced together, when our lives overlap and we rub shoulders and we bump into one another. That's when the real us comes out and we see the real uh, insight into other people. And the kind of unity Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 4 is not the distant unity. The world can do that in the office, on the tube, on the bus, wherever it is in this country. The kind of unity Paul is talking about is a deep, profound unity. It is a sharing of lives, a rubbing of shoulders. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we should be looking for a fight, obviously, here tonight. I'm not saying, you know, if you haven't had a good bust up, then, you know, crack on and and make one happen. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that when we start to really share lives with one another, that's when this call to make every effort will become a real challenge for us. Small groups are one area in a large church where we can really put this into practice. Small groups are a great way for other people to see what we're really like, to understand our hobby horses and our blind spots, to understand perhaps our mood swings or how we cope when we're tired. Uh, or to understand whether we're good at timekeeping or not, or remembering um, prayer requests, or whatever it is. You see, in a small group, if we really commit, we can't really hide, and nor can other people. And it's in that kind of context, when we really get to know people, where this call to make every effort really starts to uh, hit the ground. So here is Paul's vision for the church, of people living together in unity. But in case this feels a bit daunting, and I think it should feel daunting tonight, Paul goes on to remind us where our unity comes from. Verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the key word? It's one. 
Every Christian shares together an equal status, equal benefits, equal blessings. Every Christian has been called into the one body, God's master plan for the world. It's the stuff Paul's been talking about for the first three chapters of Ephesians. One. In other words, we are already united. Now, I think people get themselves into a tremendous muddle when it comes to unity. We forget that our unity comes from the cross of Christ. When we, when, when we forget that, we think it is down to us, down to our behavior, our performance. But it's the wrong way around. I came across this picture recently um, of someone who's got it the wrong way around. It's the, uh, the cart in front of the horse, uh, modern day equivalent. Um, it's not going to work, is it, when you've got the car and the water and the boats on the bank? But, but when it comes to unity, I think we get ourselves into a similar sort of muddle. Uh, we, we, we get the wrong way around. We think that it's our performance which creates the unity and keeps the unity going. In fact, it's the cross of Christ which gives us the unity. It's the cross of Christ which breaks down every barrier and brings enemies to become friends. We don't create unity. It's the cross of Christ which makes unity a reality. Our job is to live out the unity God has already given us at the cross. Again, the best illustration I can think of comes from families. Um, I've got three siblings. I'm the youngest of, uh, of, of four. Uh, we are a family. I, I have no choice in the fact that I was born into that family. And whether I like it or not, uh, my siblings are family. My parents are my parents. And whatever we do, however we behave, we are family. Now, we could um, not stay in touch at all. We could never ring. We could never email. We could never visit. We could never share cards and birthdays and Christmas. We could, we could avoid each other as much as possible. We could behave functionally as if we were not family. And yet we still are family. And that is something of what is happening here in Ephesians 4. We are united. We are one body because of the cross of Christ. If we have our trust in Christ, that is the reality, whether we behave like it or not. And yet Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirits and make every effort to live out the people God has already made you to be. And so here is part of the Bible's answer to the problem of difference. In God's master plan, because of the cross of Christ, diverse and different people who might be naturally enemies are made one, not because of what we do, but because of the cross of Christ. And once we understand that we are one, not because of what we do, but because of the cross of Christ, we then understand how important it is to then bear with one another and live together in unity. If we agree on the cross, then what unites us is far greater than anything that divides us. Are people living together in unity? That's the first picture of God's people from Ephesians 4. Uh, the second is this. Are people living together in diversity? A little while ago, I was speaking with a, a friend of mine who had just become a Christian recently. 
and he was describing to me um, a bit of his, his story, how he became a Christian. And he explained to me that before he became a Christian, as he was thinking about whether he wanted to become a Christian or not, one of his greatest fears was that when he became a Christian, he would become, and I quote, boring. Uh, he was scared that he would, when he became a Christian, would become simply a Christian clone. That he would be somehow sort of sucked into this big group called being a Christian and he would lose his personal identity, his personal sort of uh, personality. I guess it's a bit like um, that film, I, Robot, uh, you know, the Will Smith film from years ago, uh, sort of a picture of, 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 of the day when robots are, are designed and built and they, they walk around um, our cities serving us and they're, they're all the same, clones of one another with the same personality, the same programming. And my, my friend was worried that when he became a Christian, he'd become like a kind of clone, boring, But that is not the case when God calls us to be part of the one body of Christ. Uh, Look down at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, Paul goes on to quote Psalm 68, where God is pictured as a victorious king, bringing his people up from Egypt to Zion. And it was typical in those days for the victorious king, after the victory was won, to, to pass out gifts to his followers, his people. And uh, Paul takes that picture and transfers it to Christ and says that Christ has won a remarkable victory. Uh, he came down from heaven to earth. He stooped low. He, he descended. He went through the cross. And then he was raised, ascended back to the place of glory. And from that place of glory, he then issues gifts like the one true ultimate king, giving gifts to his people. And we see this giving of gifts taking place in verse 11. It was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. There's been lots of discussion about this list of gifts that God gives to his people. I think the main focus of this list is on people who have been given the job to bring God's word to bear to God's people. Uh, Take the uh, apostles and prophets. Uh, We've already met this group of people in Ephesians. So back in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul talks about the apostles and prophets as being those to whom God revealed the mystery of Christ. They are, in that context, those who, who wrote down the New Testament, the, 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 the message of Christ. Well, back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul talks about the apostles and prophets as those who are the foundation of God's people. And the thing about a foundation is you don't lay a foundation twice. Once it's down, it's down. It's in the ground. And on that foundation, you then build uh, your building. So it seems that when Paul talks about apostles and prophets in Ephesians, he's talking about the once and for all role of those who wrote the New Testament. Uh, We don't have, if you like, therefore, the same people functioning today. We don't have, in this sense, apostles and prophets. That role has been done already in that once for all writing down of Scripture. But then Paul talks about evangelists and pastors and teachers Now, I think these people, again, are those who have a role of bringing God's word to bear to people. But I think these roles are ongoing. Uh, They are gifts that God gives to his church today. Uh, They are people who help us to understand God's word in our uh, generation, in our context. And the goal of this word ministry is, is very clear, verse 12. 
to prepare God's people for works of service. There is, I think, a growing trend in this country to view our gatherings on a Sunday as God's people as being a kind of optional extra. If we're Christians, then of course we must gather with Christians at some point, but uh, many people are making a midweek small group their kind of main, if only if not only kind of uh, time when they meet with Christians. It's a, it's a growing trend in this country. Now, I am all for small groups. I'm a big fan of small groups. Um, I, one of my roles here is to look after small groups. So, of course, I'm going to plug small groups. But we must never substitute uh, those times for what happens when we gather here on a Sunday with God's people. And as we sit under his word, there is something vital and foundational about God's word being preached and proclaimed publicly Because that is how God's people are equipped for works of service. Now, imagine you are about to set off on a long walk across the hills. Uh, Imagine it was this afternoon with the weather we've been having with kind of rain and sleet and snow. If you're planning to go on a, I don't know, a 10-mile walk, you wouldn't just set off on the walk without thinking about what you're doing or where you're going or what stuff you needed for the walk. No, you would prepare yourself. Uh, you would, uh, I hope, get some, uh, some uh, weatherproof clothing and some, a hat and some gloves, maybe uh, an extra uh, hot flask, a map so you know where you're going. You prepare yourself for a long journey. It would be difficult in this kind of weather. Service, in the, in the context of Ephesians, is hard. It's not easy to serve. And Paul says that we need to be prepared if we are to serve properly. We won't just serve. Service is hard. And God's word, the once for all given revelation about Christ, is what we need to prepare us to serve. So what does it mean for God's word preached to equip God's people for service? Well, in a room this size, there's going to be all kinds of gifts and abilities, all kinds of ways in which we can serve. And so it's going to be hard for me to uh, help you uh, personally to, to see this. But here's one example and perhaps you could um, join the dots f- uh, for your own situation. Imagine I was musical. I'm not at all, but imagine I could play the piano, like uh, Matt's here tonight. And Matt's thinking, okay, I've got a gift of being able to play the piano. What should I do with this gift God has given me? How should I serve? Well, God's word prepares Matt for service, prepares him to play the piano. How? Well, think about Ephesians, what we've been learning about Christ in Ephesians. Well, one thing would be that there is a God who is worth praising. There is a God who stands above and behind history and every knee will bow before him and he is worthy of our praise. And so it's a good thing to praise him. Another thing is that God's word says that, that we are not the center of, of the message, There is one head, Jesus Christ, who reigns over everything and and it is under his rule that all things are being brought together, not under my rule or my authority. And so it's not about me or anyone else. Another thing would be that it is good to help uh, other people to sing well. It's good for us to play well because God is worthy of our praise. There's lots of ways in which God's word from Ephesians alone would, would help someone like Matt to to be prepared for service. That's just one example. There'll be lots of gifts here tonight. Gifts of hospitality, of encouragement, of being organized, of being able to drive a car, um, being able to make coffee, being able to um, encourage one another, do, um, provide leadership. 
I don't know, you'll know the ways in which you're gifted. But if we are to, to serve well, and it will be hard, we need God's word to equip us, to tell us why we serve, to tell us who we're serving, to tell us what it looks like to serve well. We need to be prepared. Why does it matter if we serve or not? Verse 12. To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul is saying something remarkable here. He is saying that we cannot grow personally and together as a people, as a church. We cannot grow into maturity as we should unless each one of us has been equipped for service and we are then serving with the gifts God has given us. God's people living together in diversity. That is how God has designed us to grow and to attain maturity. Outside uh, most church buildings, you'll find a a sign which uh, will tell you um, perhaps who the vicar is of that church, which is very helpful for those who are new you know, that work out who to contact or maybe it'll be the church website. But I haven't come across very often beneath the sign, Vicar Paul Williams, I haven't come across the next line, uh, ministers, question mark, everyone. But isn't that the force of Ephesians 4? That yes, there are certain people who equip God's people for service, the, the word ministry, but all of us have a role to play in serving one another. We have gifts that we have to bring to bear. And unless we do that, the body suffers. We are all called to be servants using the gifts God has given us. And so when we become Christians, we don't become clones of each other with the same personality and the same gifts. That wouldn't work. That's not how we grow. No, it's as we use our diverse gifts that God has given us, that's when we grow to maturity. And so we need to to be who God has made us to be, to use the gifts God has given us in service, equipped by his word. And that is how the body grows. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 15 to give us another way in which we should be living as diverse people. He says that we are to speak the truth in love to one another. This is another way for us to be serving one another Did you know that that we are all counselors? We all have a role to play in each other's lives. Imagine after our meeting tonight, we're having a cup of coffee afterwards, and someone says to you, do you know, I'm really dreading Monday morning. I'm really dreading getting back to school or getting back into the office. I I just, I, I hate it. What do you say in response in that moment? What you say next is counseling. You are saying something to your fellow Christian. What do you say? You could say nothing and just change the subject. Well, that's not very helpful. Uh, you could say, yeah, work's rubbish, isn't it? It's really hard. Uh, you could say, oh, I'm sure he'll be fine. Don't worry. 
Uh, or you could be really sensitive and say, ha, good luck. Um, what do you say in that moment? Paul says, speak truth in love in that moment. What could you say? Well, stick to Ephesians 1 to 3. There's enough truth there to last us a lifetime, let alone the rest of the scriptures. What does Ephesians 1 to 3 tell us about God's master plan for our lives, his eternal purposes for us, his, his own intimate personal knowledge of us, his, his power given to us to, to keep us going, to, to show us his love? And the fact that he's broken down every barrier, we need not fear anything about the future because he has died for us in his son. There's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of ways to counsel one another. And here's the thing. We need each other. And other people need us to speak the truth in love. On our own, we get ourselves into models. We're like a ship being blown around in a storm. We, we lose track of the big picture and where we're heading in life. And whether it's a Monday morning stress or it's, it's something else in our lives that, that is breaking us, we need another Christian to come in alongside us and speak a bit of truth in love to us. In fact, it is only as we do this that the body of Christ will grow into maturity. I wonder about small groups this week. If you meet in the evening, it's going to be dark. It may well be cold. You may well have had a busy week. Come 7.15, 7.30, you might be thinking, oh, do you know, mid-February, I'm just not sure if I can face it tonight. We need to remember this picture in Ephesians 4. We need other Christians. We need other Christians to be speaking truth and love to us or we will not grow. But also, they need us. Other Christians need to hear from us truth in love. Because other, other Christians are facing storms and battles in their life. They also come tired and weary and wondering. And they need to hear from us truth in love. Here is Paul's picture of the people of God. It is a picture of a community we can find nowhere else in the world. It is, a, it is a community that is both united in Christ and yet diverse because of Christ. It is a community where the great problem of difference has been dealt with once and for all, and it is all because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we long that we would be people who live a life worthy of the calling we have received. We long to be people who are growing into maturity. We long to be a people who act in practice like a body, functioning well. Father, we thank you that we have unity in Christ, and we would pray tonight that you would help us to be united in practice. Help us, would you please, Father, to serve well, as your word empowers us. Father, we long to be a community of people which is distinct and remarkably different from the world around us. We pray for your strength to make this happen. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.